Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is August the 12th, 2013, and this is episode 1184 of the Survival Podcast. And it's Monday, Monday, Monday. Doesn't really feel like Friday, 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 does it? Yeah, but there is, there is good on Monday because this is a feedback show. It's not the call-in show that we do on Fridays, but this is where you send me emails. You send those emails to jack at the survival com, and I pick out several to a few to a lot, depending on how long it takes to cover each of them each week, and I cover those, and I throw in other random tidbits and updates and things like that on Mondays because it's a good day to get the week rolling. And uh, we cover a lot of variety on these shows on uh, Fridays and Mondays. So uh, they really kind of get the week off and a little bit out of the Monday doldrums. And I've got good stuff lined up for you today. Before I get to that, though, I'd like to uh, take care of our sponsors of the day today. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Survival Gear Bags. Now, you want great survival gear bags? Go to survivalgearbags.com. You want great gear to put in those bags? Well, you'll find that at survivalgearbags.com as well. And Kelly John Doe is the guy that runs that operation. Straight out of the TSP community. Business success story out of our, out of our community, guys. That's what Survival Gear Bags is. Kelly was in the kind of the product merchandising, fulfillment, shipping business for other things. Uh, found TSP, really liked it, kind of really fit in with the community, loved what we were doing. Got involved with our forum. His forum handles cart pusher. Some of you know that then means he's been around a long time. And uh, because of his connections and, you know, as a buyer and things like that, he was able to put together some group buys. So he put together some group buys, put them all on the forum, said, if anybody wants this particular thing, I got a deal. As long as we get enough people to buy it, we'll get it for this price. And, you know, that kind of worked out and earned some trust. And then said, hey, wait a minute. If that's the case, if, if people are interested in this kind of stuff and I have good connections, maybe I could turn it into a full-on business. That's what he did with Survival Gear Bags. And uh, I'll tell you what, if you want great stuff, go see him. Remember, if you are an MSB member, you get a discount plus free shipping on all orders from survivalgearbags.com. Next up today, Safe Castle Royal, the original survival podcast sponsor. You know, people sometimes say, what do you mean by original? What does that mean? And they were first. They were the first sponsor that we ever had. When we had like a couple thousand listeners, we had like 1,800 or something like that. And, and, and Vic over there is like, I want to sponsor the show. And I'm like, I don't know that it makes sense for you to do that yet. We waited a few months until we had the listenership built up a little bit more. We launched uh, our first official sponsorship opportunities with Survival, uh, Survival, with Safe Castle Royal. And they've been with us ever since. Guys, that's four and a half years in the podcasting industry. That is a loyal faithful sponsor in the podcast industry. That doesn't happen in the podcast industry, but it happens here because you guys are great and so are our sponsors. Safe Castle Rule has all the things you need for your prepping. Check them out today. A great way to get to their site. Easy, easy to remember. Prepare.pro. That's right, prepare.pro, because they are professionals at helping you prepare. You can also get to them at safecastle.com. Uh, next up, want to remind you guys, I'll be speaking at Permaculture Voices out in California next spring. That is going to be the most awesome permaculture conference ever put together. I would love so much to have a lot of you guys out there with us. Uh, if you get over their website, they now have a payment plan because it's like six or seven hundred bucks or something like that. And they've set it up where you can make four payments or something 
something like that. I talked to Diego and said a lot of people that want to come, that can afford to come, may not be able to afford to drop all the money at once. So uh, he's made that accommodation for you guys. That could be uh, a life-changing experience, honestly, for a lot of people. And what a great place to have a, a huge group of uh, preppers get together as well and discuss sustainability. Uh, also, last but not least, I want to remind you of the Survival Podcast Members Support Brigade, or as we call it, the MSB. Uh, if you join the Members Support Brigade, you will help help me um, basically do the work that I do. It's the primary way that we pay the bills around here. I keep a very small group of sponsors, and I keep their rates very low because, frankly, they were with me when I was nobody. And uh, I don't really have any desire to bring on large sponsors, and that means that membership is the way to go as far as making sure we pay all the bills. Not only that, though, it's not just a way you can help me. It's a way you can help yourself. If you buy the kind of stuff we're talking about every day, from the tactical to the practical, from gardens to guns and everything in between, the membership pays for itself many times over. Along with initial things that you get, like over $200 worth of free ebooks. That's just one example of a great benefit you get. Safe Castle Royal, our sponsor of the day today, hey, you know, they have a discount membership that's $49 bucks. for the rest of your life. You get big discounts on just about everything they sell. Um, people buy that every day for $49. Bucks. It's a great product at a great price. My MSB members get that for free. That means, effectively, if you want the membership from Safe Castle and you're going to be ordering from them and it's worth having it as it is, my membership's a dollar for the first year. I mean, that's the kind of value that I put into it. So if you're not yet a member, please consider. I do hear from people sometimes, like, I feel bad for listening and then not being a – no, don't. Don't do that. Just don't even worry about that. Uh, join the MSB if it makes sense for you. Uh, may, join the MSB if, uh, if, you, if, you know, if you have the money and you just want to support the show. But don't put yourself out for it and don't feel bad. If you're listening to this show and sharing it with others, that's all the thanks I need from you. With that, let's go ahead and get into the main topic of today's show. I do want to start out with a permaculture topic, but it's a pretty basic one. Um, Paul Wheaton, my good friend over at richsoil.com and permies.com, has come up with another great idea, and he's using Kickstarter once again to leverage it and get it out the door. It's permaculture playing cards. They're awesome. Uh, I can't believe the artwork. Uh, I'm not a card player, and I ordered two decks to support what he's doing and because I want the cards. And I also figured, like, when I run events here, you know, that would be a great thing to have for people that do want to play cards with each other is permaculture playing cards, even if it's not a permaculture-style event. I'd say anybody, if you got a school, you do gatherings, anything like that, man, this would be a great thing to have for those. It might spur some other ideas, I'm just saying, and some other niches as well. Um, I could see a prepper deck uh, being made by somebody. But for now, this is the one we have. Um, if you watch the little video, I'm not going to play the audio from or anything. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I'm just going to tell you there's going to be a link in today's show notes on, on Paul's thing. But if you watch it, you'll see a little plate with like little finger puppets in it, and you'll see a bunch of heads on it. One's Jeff Lott and one's Bill Mollison. I think the other one's Alan Savory and one other guy I don't recognize, and one's me. I just want you to know I'm not on any of the cards. Uh, I don't think I belong on any of those cards, but he did put me into the video when he was talking about infecting his friend's brains with more permaculture thoughts. I thought that was kind of cute and clever. So, hey, you know what? I mean, you can participate in this Kickstarter for, I think, like to get a deck. I think it's 15 or 20 bucks if you get one. I got two by participating at 30 bucks. So it's not expensive. It's a good cause. And I'll tell you, Paul's already fully funded on it. I mean, 
Uh, obviously, this is struck with some people because he launched this on Friday and he fully funded it already. But the Kickstarter still has 27 days or something like that to go. And uh, you know, if you if you order now, you'll get your cards as early as possible. And what a great way to play games with your kids and teach them about sustainability and permaculture. Check it out. Uh, again, it's on Kickstarter. I'll have a link in today's show notes. Next, I want to give you a real, real quick update on what's going on with Empty Knives. I launched their program for them on Friday, the Stakeholders Program. I'm not going to completely rehash it, uh, but it was at the beginning of Friday's show. We'll put out a, a post tomorrow probably on the blog explaining a little bit more just to get more awareness of it. But basically, it is just a program where he's selling 100 limited edition knives, and people that buy one are able to then basically get a profit on the sale of future knives with the same number if they don't want to buy it for wholesale price. Uh, it's a very cool program. Nobody's ever done anything like this before, and Patrick is an incredible knife maker, and the product is gorgeous to begin with. Um, I think he set his final price at $549 or something like that. Uh, we had people emailing going, I can't believe the price is going to be that low. I figured it'd be $1,500 for the type of thing you guys put together. Um, and I think it's a very fair price, and I think it's enough that it gets Patrick out of a full-time job and into a full-time business very quickly. Uh, it's, it's really a great thing, and uh, I'm glad to be part of it. And again, I want to just make sure people understand, this is not my business venture. This is Patrick's business venture. I'm not charging him a thing. The only thing I charged him for my support and my consulting on this was that I got knife 001 in the 1 through 100 series. So that's it. And I have my knife, and if you want yours too, you need to be part of this launch. The big update I want to give you. There's only 100. There's not 101. There's not 103. There's not going to be 50 extra ones we found in the back room. These are custom handmade knives and a program that we spent almost a year putting together. We are not changing it now. So there's only 100. Patrick emailed me by the end of the day Friday and said there were already 100 people or more than 100 people on the announcement list. That's great for him, and it's not bad for you either. Because just because somebody said, I want information, doesn't mean they're going to buy on, on the day that we actually launch the program. I do know those knives are going to sell out the day we launch it. I, I have no doubt about that whatsoever. So you can get on over, use the link in today's show notes, see the whole program. Uh, there's no rush right now. Uh, we haven't even set the date that we're going to launch this. Patrick and I are going to figure that out over the next week or two. We're going to say, and we're not, it's not going to be like get an email and you find out all oh, crap and it's too late. We're going to tell you well in advance, several days in advance. The program will launch on Saturday, the whatever, at 12 noon Central Standard Time. And we're probably going to do a launch party. Patrick's probably going to drive down here. My, my new intern, Josiah, is probably going to figure out how to set up some kind of streaming video so that we can all be here behind the desk drinking a Chimay and celebrating Patrick's unique walk to freedom. And, uh, Guys, I'm excited. I'm excited for Patrick because he's such a good friend. And uh, I know some of you guys wonder, well, why hasn't you know Jack done more of these things? And here's the deal. If, if you're ever going to be in a position where you want me to help you with something like this, you're going to have to do what Patrick's done. Patrick's formed a relationship over three years with me. He's delivered solid value to me for those three years. And he's perfected his craft. And he's got his own situation set up where he can. he's basically a business in action. And we're just taking him to another level. I like to do this type of philanthropy. I really do. But I can't do it for someone who has an idea. And I, I say that because I get people pitching me ideas every day. Um, it's not that I'm disinterested in your idea. Uh, it's not that sometimes I don't think that's a great idea. It's that the idea stage is not where a person like me gets involved. Um, 
and I generally get involved at various levels with people when I help them. I just want so I don't end up with a line of people asking me to do something like this. If I do it every other day, number one, it loses effectiveness, and number two, uh, before I'll back a person the way I'm backing Patrick here, I have to have a hundred percent confidence in their ability, uh, their intention. Uh, and their track record. So a track record has to exist for that to exist. And uh, But I do generally kind of do this in phases where if you guys have something really good going on and uh, and you don't just throw it at me and go, hey, support this, um, and we develop a relationship, generally I will give just about anybody some exposure to what they're doing over time. Anyway, I just wanted to say that. Now I want to get into your emails today because that is the real intent of today's show. Uh, first one is pretty cool. And, and the question is uh, from Carbon on the forum, how do I tell if the meat in my grocery store is nutritious food, free of steroids and other concerns without having to be organic? We you buy our foods from an Asian grocery store. They're a pretty big store, but they are not a franchise. Is there something I can look at in the meat, uh, not a USDA organic stand, but the quality of how it looks it would give me a clue? Can't afford to go organic. We stay away from Tyson and big brands. From what I recall, none of the chicken we've had from them uh, are not only big and bloated. The meats you select at the butcher section seem uh, like they do. They have a lot of uh, fat compared to what I get from a Costco chicken. Um, here's the thing. You can't look at a piece of meat and know. You can't. Um, with chicken, you can get a real understanding of how it was handled, not necessarily how it was raised, but how its butchering process was handled. If you, you know, if you have to even get it, cook it for the dog and, and, and toss it, uh, a big package of, or just any package of like Tyson or Purdue, uh, or specifically a whole chicken like that from a big brand and open it up, your nose will tell you what you need to know. It stinks. It stinks. Um, there's a lot of brands out there that are more of like a, a natural family farm brand. I can't remember the brand itself, but there's like I, what I would call a mid-brand that of all people, Walmart carries of chickens. Uh, these are you know naturally raised. And the thing is, you don't really, and unfortunately in our modern society, you don't really know what that means. Um, but I can tell you that those chickens are definitely a better quality product, and they are nowhere near as expensive as, let's say, a free-range pastured organic chicken. So there is that mid-tier brand, but you can't look and tell. And here's the reality. I wish I could tell you that every day that I eat a steak, I eat a grass-fed, free-range piece of beef that's never been given a, you know, a bucket full of corn in its life. And the truth is I don't. I buy the best-looking meat that I can afford, and I try to randomly uh, source my meat. So sometimes I'm going to eat meat that you know, probably honestly came from a, a factory farm. I don't feel good about it. I don't like it, but I know it's still better for me than living on a diet high in carbohydrates and processed foods. And I would rather eat that than wheat and rice and, and what have you, even if the wheat and rice and stuff was organic. This is not an easy thing. And the reality is that our bigger problem today really isn't cost, it's availability. Um, there's a lot of really good high-quality meat out there that is not very expensive. It's finding it. One of the places that you can do the best for yourself, though, is in ground beef and chicken. Ground beef and chicken, the premium on organic is not that high. Uh, and you don't, and with beef specifically, if it is grass fed, and you'll know. I mean, beef's one thing that if it's not grass fed, you're gonna, there's a definite difference. The, the, the meat is a, a leaner, it's firmer. Uh, it it, it kind of cooks up a little bit differently, grass-fed, and it, and some people actually prefer corn-fed beef to grass-fed beef. Uh, so it's pretty evident. If you so if you're buying something that says it's grass-fed beef, 
and you don't notice any difference at all, it's probably not, or it's like ate one grass leaf or something in its bucket or what have you. But most of the time, if you see grass-fed beef, it's truly grass-fed beef. And, and that may not be organic because uh, the producer may not be going through all the crap the government wants to, uh, to use to maintain the organic scam, but it doesn't mean that it's not good quality beef. So that's one place. With chicken, if you want to buy organic chicken, The way to be able to afford it is not to buy boneless, skinless breast of chicken. Buy whole chickens. And if you want it in pieces, cut it up. It's not hard. If you're not sure how, don't wait for me to do a video on it. Go to YouTube. There's I've, I checked. There's hundreds of videos of how to cut up a whole chicken. Um, and, and they all seem pretty dadgone decent, and it's not that hard. And it's not surgery when you're cutting up a whole chicken. If you screw it up, you can still eat it. It won't die. It's already dead. It won't bleed. The blood's already gone. So give it a shot. And, and I think those are two places that you can make that switch. And here's what I'll tell you. If you're eating organic chicken twice a week, uh, and maybe you're eating free-range or grass-fed beef twice a week, and the other three days a week you're getting your protein from more conventional sources, that's better than not doing anything different. And, and if you start to think about ways you can really utilize things, you start to stretch it out a little more. So if you're buying whole organic chicken and you're cutting it up, you know, take your wingtips and your backs and if it comes with, you know, hearts and livers and gizzards, put them in a bag, store them up a while and then make a big pot of chicken soup out of them. So you, you get extra meals out of them and things like that are, are ways to do that. But unfortunately, carbon, there's just not a way that you can just go look at a piece of meat and go, yeah, that's, that's, you know, that's a better cut of meat. But do check around for Stores in your area that possibly specialize in carrying local beef, probably the best thing you could do. Um, and I don't know where you live, so I don't know how feasible this is. But the best thing you can do if you want better quality meat is get yourself a chest freezer and go find local producers in your area that sell half a cow, half a pig, right, and, and their own chickens. That generally will save you enough money to make it possible. And that's probably, I don't care if they're organic or not. If you find somebody that has local steers and is selling, you know, half a half of a half a side of beef uh, in your area, and sometimes they'll do a quarter of a beef split with three other customers, um, that quality is probably better than organic from Argentina or, or God knows where, uh, and it may be better for people in the land too, in the grand scheme of things. And Pastured pork and pastured beef are becoming more and more available locally all around the country if you really look for it. And locally might be within a couple hundred miles. I mean, understand, this is like a once-a-year purchase. It's not that big a deal if you have to take two big coolers and pitch them in the back of a truck and run out to get your stuff and then you know spend a day packing it up and, and freezing it. A lot of times it will be all packed for you. Um, so there's, there's that option. And then the pork is really the most affordable pastured meat uh, that you can get in bulk. Uh, available right now from local producers. And both of those are so much better than a factory alternative. And those are a great way to be able to do this without spending so much money. The reality is the distribution chain in retail stores is just not what it needs to be to give you the selection you need to be able to shop affordably by making different decisions throughout the week. In other words, I usually have one or two things that sell at a premium and everything else is the, the, the everyday stuff. And that's the problem. If they were actually sourcing a, a serious amount of this stuff by having the variety, you wouldn't just have to have these premium cuts that sell for a premium premium. Uh, so I would look into local production and buying in bulk. 
uh, is your best option. Let's take another one. Uh, next up, I want to play something for you. I'm not even going to really introduce it. I'm just going to play it for you. And uh, then I'm going to come back and talk about it. Listen carefully. You, you might not realize how big a deal it is if you don't pay close attention to this. This is Angela Kilduff for Evening Edition. Reuters broke a story revealing a secretive unit of the Drug Enforcement Agency called the Special Operations Division, or SOD. This division works with partner agencies like the FBI, CIA, and NSA to tip off federal, state, and local authorities and catch criminals. However, this practice has gone under the radar because authorities are instructed to hide the source of the tip from defense lawyers and sometimes even prosecutors and judges. They fabricate a typical investigative trail, pretending, for example, that a targeted traffic stop was routine. The SOD draws from intelligence intercepts, wiretaps, informants, and a massive database of phone and Internet records. One recently retired federal agent called it an amazing tool, but lawyers have described it as indefensible. Some experts say the practice of hiding how an investigation really began violates an individual's constitutional right to a fair trial. Thanks for listening. Find our daily podcasts and written summaries of the day's news from San Francisco, New York, London, and Paris at evening-edition.com. Um, an amazing tool. An amazing tool. Yeah, that guy sounds like an amazing freaking tool to me. And some individuals argue that this is a violation of, of your rights. You know what we call those individuals? Logical, sane, rational people that believe in the Constitution of the United States. That's not some individuals. That's normal freaking people. Folks, if you didn't get how bad this is, let me explain to you what this means. What this means is that a person being prosecuted for, let's say, having drugs in their car, right? Because don't think if it, don't, for me, please, don't think this only exists in the drug world, first of all. That's just where they got caught with their pants down. In other words, this could be any type of a crime that they're, because you know they're doing the same crap. So, person gets pulled over by some state troopers. State troopers say, something ain't right. Think there's something going on here. Bring in the canines, find the dope, arrest the guy, da da da. Then they tell the prosecutor, Who's prosecuting the case? This was a random stop. This is how the invest they make an investigative trail up. They write phony paperwork. They deliver it to the prosecutor and the judge. They don't know that it's fake. The defense attorney doesn't know that the information against his client is fabricated. Because what really happened is somebody, I don't know, heard something on a cell phone with a warrantless water warrantless wiretap somewhere and got and if they see why would they hide that? To preserve the integrity of the program, no, no. To allow for the admission of illegally obtained evidence or possibly completely fabricated evidence, we don't know. There is no oversight. You're not allowed to find out. And this is, again, this is one of those things where people go, oh, it's conspiracy. No, this is the DEA saying we do this. It's okay. You should be happy. Folks, your country's dying in front of you. You know, I'm not going to get mad, snap out, and throw things today. I threw a Sharpie a couple weeks ago, and I put a dent in the wall. I was so mad over stupidity and ignorance. I'm, I'm not going to do that this week. But your country's dying. The country that we're supposed to believe in. The country we're supposed to salute the flag for. The country where we have life, uh, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for all. Where we have justice for all. Well, it's just drug dealers, man. No. See, 
You don't just follow the Constitution. People don't just have rights when they're convenient. That's nonsense. It's ridiculous thinking. How do you even know if this is being done that people aren't being set up, completely set up? You know, it, are, are they may be hiding that the reason that that guy has all the dope in his car in the first place is the DEA put it in his car, the DEA operative stuck it in the trunk, said, hey, man, you got to take this here. Well, that guy was still willingly, no, see, it doesn't work that way. You, you, you can't rationalize this crap away. This is indefensible. Some individuals feel, again, those individuals would be people that value the Constitution of the United States of America. That's who those individuals would be. Don't trust anybody in law enforcement ever because they may be screwing you over without even knowing they're doing it. And I'm telling you, law enforcement officers are trained to lie to people. I've seen it happen. I know that it happens. They're trained to lie. I pushed my brother-in-law on it. He said, no, we're not. And when you really push him, well, yeah, we are, but only because... See, this is why... If you are ever in a situation where you need to speak with police, you get counsel between you and law enforcement first. So you know when to shut up, which is probably most of the time. There are times when you help. If you see a guy come running out of a building with a gun, running down the street after you heard shots fired, you see cops, you go, he went that way. Okay? If you're in a position where a guy breaks into your house, right, and you have to kill him, To protect yourself, you call the police and you talk to them. You give them the basic scenario. But as soon as you say, this is what happened. I want to file a complaint. You do all the things you're supposed to do that we cover with Masada Yub. You say, and I'll be happy to cooperate further after I confer with counsel. And you shut up. Because this type of deceit exists. And I know there's some cops out there pissed off at me right now. Clean your own mess up, guys. You know I support you. I really do. I do a discount for law enforcement. I figure if you can listen to my show every day and you still want to be involved, you're one of the good guys. But don't don't act like you're that you're you know like oh there's only one out of those for every 20 of us. It ain't that way, and you know it. So if if this makes you upset, especially if you're in federal law enforcement, and I know there's a ton of you guys that listen that are, clean your shit up. This is not right. This is this is the you know this here's what will happen next. One of you guys will man up. One of you guys will man up, and you're going to come out, and you're going to expose how much worse this is. And when you do, please do it from somewhere like Hong Kong or, I don't know, what's that place that Snowden wants to get to that he's having trouble getting to down in uh, Ecuador? Go to Ecuador first or something, because they're going to Snowden job you when you do. They're going to make you out to be a traitor. They're going to try to prosecute you. That's what they're going to do for telling the freaking truth about the complete, total violation of our constitutional rights. That's when I say our country is dying, guys. That's what I'm talking about. When a person actually exposes what the scum are doing in your government, he's labeled a traitor. They lie to you and say, this compromises the safety of Americans around the world. No, you ass clowns doing this crap is what compromises the safety of Americans around the world. If you buy into this bullshit, you've got a Snowden job pulled on you, okay? That's what I'm going to tell you right now. That's what I'm going to call from now on. Whenever they, whenever they barbecue somebody for telling you the truth, that's a new term. Maybe somebody else said it first. I don't know. I hadn't heard it anywhere else. A Snowden job. That's exactly what they're doing, and they're going to continue to do this crap, but tell the truth anyway. Just be smart about it. Either you come out completely publicly, and you do it from the safety of a foreign shore, somebody that's going to protect your butt long term, 
And from my understanding, Ecuadorians are willing to do it with Assange and uh, Snowden if he can get down there. So maybe the, I don't know where the place is. But it would be good if you guys started putting some stuff together, uh, people out there that want to safely tell people the truth about what's going on, where you know where you're safe. Because they will put people in jail for the rest of their lives simply for telling us the truth. Uh, on that note, I got another one for you. So yeah, um, you know, recently Snowden did come out and tell us the truth about what was going on. And, uh, you know, the government thinks that's a problem. But what they think the problem is, isn't that they are illegally collecting data on American citizens. And it is illegal by any anybody's random, any random person with an IQ over 14's interpretation of the Constitution. What they're doing is clearly illegal. But the problem isn't that it's illegal. The problem is there's too many people that might tell the truth. It really is the problem. And they're going to fix it. And how are they going to fix it? Let me tell you how they're going to fix it. Yeah, here's a great story to explain how your government thinks about things like this. Uh, from Reuters. The National Security Agency hit by disclosures of classified data by former contractor Edward Snowden said Thursday it intends to eliminate about 90% of its system administrators to reduce the number of people with access to secret information. Keith Alexander, the director of the NSA and the U.S. spy agency charged with monitoring foreign electronic communications, uh, just remember that it's foreign electronic communications, but the Snowden link is about the collection of domestic data. Okay, so that means that this this clown is just supposedly we're just looking for these foreign terrorists and stuff like that, but but they're collecting data uh, of your phone usage when you're sending a text message to your freaking grandmother about what kind of potatoes to pick up at the supermarket, and that data is all going to a data center in Salt Lake City, Utah. But this guy is uh, uh, monitoring foreign electronic communications. I right, just remember that. So you can just right from there see the bullshit trail as it continues to unfold in front of you. Uh, told a cybersecurity conference in New York City that automating much of the work would improve security. Quote, what we're in the process of doing, not fast enough, is reducing our system administrators by about 90%, end quote, he said. The remarks came as the agency is facing scrutiny after Snowden, who had been one of the 1,000 system admins, who help run the agency's network, leak classified details about surveillance programs to the press. Let me finish that sentence. Leaked, this is what it should say, leak classified details about surveillance programs to the press being conducted domestically on U.S. citizens. That's what it should say. That should be the rest of it. Before the change, we were done. What we've done is put people in the loop of transferring data, securing networks, and doing things that machines are probably better at doing, Alexander said. Using technology to automate much of the work now done by employees and contractors would make the NSA's networks more defensible and more secure as well as faster, he said at the conference, in which he did not mention Snowden by name. These efforts predate Snowden's leak, the agency has said, but have been since accelerated. Alexander's remarks largely echoed similar comments made to Congress and at other public appearances over the past two months since his agency came under fire from civil liberties advocates and lawmakers concerned by Snowden's revelations. Snowden leaked documents to the Garden and Washington Post, which published stories revealing previously secret telephone and Internet surveillance programs run by the U.S. government. Snowden now faces criminal charges, but has since been granted temporary asylum in Russia. 
Other security measures that Alexander has previously discussed include requiring at least two people to be present before certain data can be accessed on the agency's computer systems. Quote, at the end of the day, it's about people and trust, end quote, Alexander said. He again defended his agency's conduct, much of which he said has been, quote, grossly mischaracterized, end quote, by the press. Quote, no one has willingly or knowingly disobeyed the law or tried to invade your civil liberties or privacies, end quote. Uh, he said, quote, there were, there were no mistakes like that at all, end quote. He was told the audience to, quote, get the facts, end quote, and make up their own minds, adding that the agency itself could do more to enable this. Quote, we've got to push out more. I recognize that, end quote. He said, liar, liar, liar. Liar, liar, liar. I would tell this man to his face if I was ever given the opportunity. He is a lying sack of crap. Seriously, no one has willingly or knowingly disobeyed the law. I believe that because you've simply changed the law, but you can't change the underlying Constitution law, as clown. But I believe you believe what you're saying there. Or tried to invade your civil liberties or privacies. Listen, asshole, if you're taking all the data off somebody's phone and off all their social networks and all their search activities and storing it in a computer, that would be the very definition of invading their civil liberties and privacies. Okay? Liar. This is what I'm saying. Lies, 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 lies. That's what you're being told. Every day, 24-7, if you turn the TV on, turn mainstream radio on, lies, 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 lies. I'm not a big conspiracy nut. I don't believe in every conspiracy under the sun. I believe what they tell us. And then I look through the marketing spin on it and go, I believe what they're saying is true. I just believe this part's a lie because it's not consistent with the other things that we know. Let me tell you something, too. I've got to say this again in Snowden's defense. What Edward Snowden told the American people is not anything that we didn't already know. What Snowden actually did was confirm from an insider's perspective, yes, everything that you've already been told about these programs is true. That's it. That's it. And for that, he's a traitor. He should be hung. Some of these comments that come out of our Congress are ridiculous. Snowden job. Remember the term, folks. That's what's going to happen to every person that stands up and speaks the truth from the inside and tells the American people the shit these people are pulling. That's what's going to happen to Snowden job. You know when it'll stop? When there's too many to do it. When it's not one guy every two years showing up going, hey, this is what's going on. When it's 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 of you guys. Saying, hey, this is what these people are... Because God knows what they're really doing. God knows what they're really doing. How bad it really is. And this, to protect you from Ahmed the dead terrorist. Is there a terrorism risk in the world? Sure there is. But you know what? If you go swimming a couple times this summer, you're probably more likely to be eaten by a bull shark than be blown up by Ahmed the dead terrorist. If you don't know who Ahmed the Dead Terrorist is, look it up. As much as this stuff makes you upset and angry, humor is a great way to feel better. Uh, and uh, puppeteer Jeff Dunham and Ahmed, they're pretty fun to watch. Uh, let's go on to another email. I don't think I said so at the beginning, so if you want to send me an email of anything uh, for a show like this, whether it's an article, a question, a comment, a suggestion, whatever, you send that email to jack at com. Again, jack at com, And put question for Jack, comment for Jack, video for Jack, article for Jack, something like that. One word followed by the two words for Jack, 
in the subject line, and it will be more likely to get through my screening process. I get hundreds of emails a day, legitimate emails, not counting spam, and uh, not all will be read or even get on the... Oh, I, I would say all of them get read, just very, very quickly scanned, uh, but not all will be responded to or heard on the air, but uh, you, your voice is heard. If you want to make sure that you are heard, the formula follow there is, at the very beginning of the email, make your point or ask your question in two sentences or less, and then give me details. If you do that, I am likely to actually get the gist of what you have to say very quickly. If you go through a whole bunch of stuff and like write five paragraphs before you get to your question, I'm going to be honest with you. Your email is not going to be uh, effectively scanned, and I'm going to end up deleting it, and I'm not really going to know what you had to say. It's not that I don't care. It's a time constraints thing. All right, let's move on to another one. Actually, hold on before I move on because I got kind of, I said I wasn't going to tweak out today and I really didn't, but I did get kind of mad there when I heard this guy just blatantly lying to the face of the American people. I, I didn't point out the most important part of this story with, uh, with the NSA and, uh, reducing the systems administrators. What, what they believe the problem is, is that people are honest and have integrity and want to do the right thing. That's the problem. It's about trust. No, it's about the fact that you don't trust the people you're hiring to be as sleazy as you are. You don't trust that all of the people that you hire can be completely manipulated. You don't trust that you can properly brainwash all of your employees. And you know if you have less of them to brainwash, you'll have a greater chance of control or identifying the person with integrity quick enough and getting rid of them before they can do any real damage. That have machines do the work because machines don't think for themselves. Machines don't judge. They do whatever the top input commands tell them to do. And God forbid we have the human mind in the equation saying to itself, wait a minute, I know based on my fifth grade civics class, class that this is wrong and this is illegal and your government system is going to be to eliminate the human equation in as many places as possible and leave in the people that want power so bad that they will shit on the constitution and only they will tell the machines what to do just saying that's why i say america stand up and do something because otherwise your nation is dying Okay, how about we go completely, totally away from this for a while and get the toxicity out of the air and talk about something a little more down-home oriented to individual liberty and freedom in our food supply. We had a question earlier about things like you know eating better meat, and if you have a little bit of land, uh, you know even a half of an acre, you can probably run some chickens. You can probably run 10 or 12 chickens at a time on a pretty small piece of land. An acre, you could easily run 25 chickens in a chicken tractor and do that a couple times a year and produce a lot of your own meat. Um, we're doing that, and we're doing it right now with Freedom Ranger chickens. Uh, these are a heritage breed, rapid-growing broiler. Uh, that will get up into the four to five pound range in about nine to 12 weeks, which is not quite as quick as a Cornish cross, uh, but they're much healthier birds, and they're birds that you could raise beyond that as well that won't look at you and say, please kill me at about 10 weeks of age. Um, and I have a question relating to that particular bird. This is from Noel. And I'm going to show you guys, this is when I talk about how to write a question, this is exactly how to write a question. This will get your question read probably in full if the initial question is interesting. Hi, Jack. Looking for advice on cooking Freedom Ranger pastured chicken, mainly concerning the strong taste. I'm sure you have some suggestions, but feel free to kick it over to Keith Snow. A few months ago, you were talking about someone raising this breed over standard Cornish crosses, so I'm going to include lots of details for your benefit. Okay, so there you go, right? That's it. That's the question. And the last part of the question 
really isn't the question. He's telling me he's going to give me details, but I've already got the gist, and I know whether I want to keep reading. It was quick. It was fast. I can scan that with my eyes. If I'm not reading it a lot, I'm reading it in the head. I can do that in 15 seconds or less. So now I go on. A few weeks ago, we butchered our first run of pastured Freedom Ranger chickens, a.k.a. Rainbow Ranger, Liberty Ranger, etc. I've eaten the standard Cornish cross meat birds before, most of which processed at 8 to 9 weeks of age. We processed our Freedom Rangers at 11 weeks. The average weight was 4.3 pounds, whereas the Cornish cross goes a little over 5 on average and has more breast meat. We let... We let ours free range and supplemented them with organic feed. The first thing I noticed was the leg quarters on the Freedom Rangers are huge. The thighs and drumsticks are enormous. It's not just the meat. The leg bones and even the wing bones are really large compared to Cornish crosses that weigh more. That's why they don't fall over and break their legs just by standing still, uh, you know, just on that. I can't wait to make some stock with the bones. The breast meat isn't as large as a regular Cornish cross, but cooks up the same, tastes about the same. The skin has a bit more fat and is tougher than a standard meat bird. The big problem is those thick, chunky legs. Not only are they meaty, the meat is almost a bit rubbery and greasy, almost like a heritage breed that's over a year old or so. Anyways, for cooking the leg quarters, to get rid of some of the greasy, oily texture. The flavor is fine, but compared to the breast meat, it's almost, it's almost a little strong. Uh, just an FYI, I have a batch of Cornish Cross going now just to see how much difference there is in weight, feed consumption, ultimately flavor. Thanks for all you do. Hoping I can make it down there for one of your permaculture seminars. Noel. Uh, first of all, the strong flavor in Heritage Breach chickens, we call that f- flavor. Just I want to start out with that, right? It's, it's not a strong flavor. It's what chicken is supposed to taste like. And in a lot of instances, the reason we see it as a strong or off-putting flavor is you don't know what chicken tastes like anymore. So we can talk about some of the other issues because there can be some issues, and I have some ways to deal with that. But I just want to throw that on the table first. This is the same as the person who drinks uh, you know, raw whole milk and doesn't immediately do what a lot of us do. Wow, that's great. Uh, and that's probably the person that never lived in the days of a milkman and never drank real whole milk before. Um, when the first time I had whole milk after years and years of not ha- not whole milk, but raw milk after years and years of not having it, I thought that's just like I remembered. And to me, that was great. But the person that has it the first time that it's not plain and watery and crap, a lot of times is put off by it. Like, oh, that's not right. And it's a, it's a mental thing. It actually doesn't taste bad. It just tastes so different. So let, let's start with that. Um, number two, this thing about the the greasy part of the dark meat, the thigh and the leg, and it's oily and fatty and greasy and has a flavor. Again, that's flavor. That's not an off flavor. That's not a bad flavor. That's not a bad thing. That is flavor. That's fat. That's what that is. And that means that if you cook up not just a Freedom Ranger, but any heritage breed of chicken, and you look at a thigh or a leg, the dark meat's actually dark. It's not like a light Dark, like like almost white meat, but not quite. And if you look at modern chicken, if you skin and bone a thigh and and, and do like a stir fry with it, it doesn't look that much different than breast meat anymore. Okay, so so you're gonna have so it's just that there's more fat in the bird, and dark meat has more fat than white meat. That's just a basic thing. So if it's a fattier bird, and it the dark meat already has more fat. And then it's going to have additional fat. So that's that's the source of this. So there's a lot of things we can do here. Uh, one of the best things we can do, if we're concerned with this, is part the bird out. And and this is generally speaking, unless you're just doing ro- you know, roasted rotisserie chicken or something like that, it's better anyway. Because there's different temperatures and cooking times that are optimum for dark meat and white meat. White meat you can cook fast, hot, crisp, done. 
right? Dark meat does cook better at a slower cook. And we can do a whole chicken slowly, but a lot of times, if you don't really get it just right and balance it, you can try out a breast when the, by the time the legs and thighs are where you want them. So first, by parting it out, we can do that. So I might do then the breasts of this bird, uh, you know, de-breast it, cut the two breasts in half, and cook it on a hot, high heat. And then I might take the leg quarters, skin and all, and, and if I just want to do it and make it a little bit more, uh, uh, less rubbery as you're calling it, more tender, and a little bit more um, reduced in fat, I'll cook it on a very slow, smoky fire for a while, and then maybe kill the smoke, because you can over-smoke chicken, and then just a slow, hot, a slow, warm fire. And I want to cook it maybe over an hour and a half maybe even two hours, depending on how low I can get the temperature and still have it cooking. And if it if I put a fork in it and it doesn't seem tender enough yet, I'll just keep cooking a little bit longer. Now, there's two things that happen. One, you cook any piece of meat long and slow, what happens? It gets tender. But number two, you start cooking a lot of that fat out of it, drips down into the flames, flares up a little bit, crisps up the skin. That's one of the things you can do. Another thing you can do is use the meat a little bit differently. And again, this is getting into cutting the chicken up instead of just throwing the whole chicken in the, the oven or on the grill. Take those legs and thighs and skin them. And do something with that skin. Don't throw it away. My God, don't throw it away. I crisp it up on the grill and eat it. Whatever. Um, you know, use it for other things. There's lots of things. You use it in your stock at least. Um, but don't throw it away. But in this instance, separate it from the meat. Cut it up into smaller pieces, Right? And then do like a stir fry or something with it. Uh, and that, and then you can cook it at a higher temperature, removed of the skin, cut into smaller pieces. The grease cooks out a lot faster. It'll tender up a lot quicker. So there's a lot of ways that we can kind of do this, but it all is more dependent on kind of changing things up a little bit. Another thing is you just want to do a roasted chicken. You know, most people do a roasted chicken, whole chicken in the oven, Roasted for about you know an hour at 350 degrees, you know drop that temperature down to 300 or even 275, or put it in there at 350, and get, and as soon as the skin starts to crisp, drop that temperature down, and cook it till it's fully cooked at a much lower temperature. That's a great way to do any chicken, but it, it, you know you got to keep an eye on it, make sure you're not drying it out. But with these birds, they're far more forgiving about that. But you really do better by Cooking the two pieces, the two primary types of meat separately. You know, get the, well, that dark meat and cook it to its own uh, uh, own desired temperature and, and methodology and cook the white meat differently because they are so different. And that's because that difference in a heritage chicken has been restored. If you, if you went out and, and shot a wild jungle fowl, it's the root of chicken, they have a very dark meat especially the thighs and the legs. We've read out those characteristics. So those are some ideas that I have for you there, and I'm glad we covered that one because it did decouple me from, uh, from the, 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 the rage that I feel over what's being done in my nation a little bit. And, and there's a reason. It's not just this is a cool topic and it's fun. and you, you, it, This really is your method of independence, folks. Um, you want cheap chickens, raise your own. It, it starts to get a lot cheaper when you do it that way. And you know how that bird's been treated, and I mean, there's just really nothing that I can say that that, that makes that you know better or more true. Um, and it is it is a path toward freedom. It really is. It's uh, 
It's something all of us can do, and eggs as well. So we have an egg flock and a meat flock right now, and uh, the egg flock will still be here by Halloween, and the meat flock, they're going to graduate. They're going to graduate at our event. We've pretty much decided that's what we're going to do, that we're going we're gonna to butcher these the day before the Urban Garden Showcase, and everybody that wants one, anyone, will take one home, and anybody that wants to donate theirs to the uh, group will we'll make that part of our, uh, our dinner one night, and we'll see if uh, my method of cooking this stuff up works. I'd say another thing, too, is since you supplemented them with organic grain, there's nothing wrong with the organic grain. But when you say that, it, it's going to make a difference on a bird how much work it has to do with those legs. And the more work, the tougher the meat's going to be. So if you put them to pasture and you really made them work, if you fed them a ration that really worked out to like 50% of what they need to grow and they had to get the other 50% from the ground – they're going to be more built up and muscular and a little bit tougher uh, than if you had fed them a ration of, say, 80 or 90% or a free choice. And I am of a belief that as long as you have a good quality feed uh, with pasturing chicken, there's nothing wrong with free choice. That they'll do plenty of foraging and scratching and bug eating and seed pecking and, and stuff like that um, because they'll want to. You don't really have to restrict their feed and only feed them in the morning and the afternoon. And I think you'll end up with a, a slightly less active chicken uh, and not in a bad way. Uh, and that slightly less active, a little bit easier growth may result in a chicken that's a little bit more conventional, if that's what you're looking for. Uh, let's go on and take another one. Next up, I want to play uh, something for you from a TED Talk there. There's slides in the actual talk that you won't have. Uh, you'll just have to hear the audio. But it's a guy named Ron Finley, who's a, grill, a gorilla gardener in South Central Los Angeles. And uh, I, I think it's pretty encouraging and uplifting. And though I've shared it before on Facebook, I've never shared it on the air. And uh, with all the crap that we're dealing with in this day and age, I think sometimes we need a little bit of encouragement that people really are the solution and that people can be the solution in just about any environment. I think that's the case uh, with Mr. Finley. I'd love to get this guy on the air someday. I think I've emailed him two or three times about coming on. I've never heard a word back from him. He probably thinks I'm a lunatic survivalist or something. Uh, I don't know. But uh, I'm really an admirer of the work that he's done. So I want to play this for you today, and I want you to kind of feel better about the fact that there is hope uh, no matter where we're at and that people are the solution. And the solution often is really um, – being able to feed ourselves, that's one of the most important things that we can do. Uh, I'm going to tell you, Mr. Finley, like me, uses some adult words. If you don't like that, I apologize in advance, but you know this, this show has that flair to it. And uh, so here you go, Mr. Ron Finley, a gorilla gardener in south-central Los Angeles, uh, from a recent TED Talk, and I will have a link to the full video so you can see the slides and all if you want to. I live in south-central. This is south-central. Liquor stores. Fast food, vacant lots. So the city planners, they get together, and they figure they're going to change the name South Central to make it represent something else. So they change it to South Los So they change it to South Los Angeles. Like this is going to fix what's really going wrong in the city. This is South Los Angeles. <laughs> Liquor stores, fast food, vacant lots. Just like 26.5 million other Americans, I live in a food desert, South Central Los Angeles, home of the drive-through and the drive-by. 
Funny thing is, the drive-throughs are killing more people than the drive-bys. People are dying from curable diseases in South Central Los Angeles. For instance, the obesity rate in my neighborhood is like five times higher than, say, Beverly Hills, which is like probably eight, ten miles away. I got, I got tired of, of, of seeing this happening. And I, I wonder, how would you feel if you had no access to healthy food? If every time you walk out your door, you see the ill effects that the present food system have on your neighborhood? I see, I see wheelchairs bought and sold like used cars. I see dialysis centers popping up like Starbucks. And I figured <laughs> this has to stop. <laughs> so so I, I, I figured that the, the problem is the solution. Food is the problem and food is the solution. Plus, I got tired of driving 45 minutes round trip to get an apple that wasn't impregnated with pesticides. So what I did, I planted a food forest in front of my house. It's on the strip of land that we call a parkway. It's like 150 feet by like 10 feet. The thing is, it's owned by the city, but you have to maintain it. So I'm like, cool. I can do whatever the hell I want. Since, I, since it's my responsibility and I got to maintain it, and this is how I decided to maintain it. So me and my group, L.A. Green Grounds, we got together and we started planting my food for us. Fruit trees, you know, the whole nine for vegetables. What we do, we're, we're a pay-it-forward kind of group where it's composed of, like, gardeners from all walks of life from all over the city, and it's completely volunteer, and everything we do is free. And, and the garden, it was beautiful. And then somebody complained. The city came down on me. <laughs> and, they, and basically gave me a citation saying that I had to remove my garden, which this citation would turn into a warrant. And I'm like, come on, really? A warrant for planting food on a, on a piece of land that you could care less about? <laughs> and I was like, cool, bring it. Because this time it wasn't coming up. So L.A. Times got, got hold of it. Steve Lopez did a story on it and, and um, talked to the councilman. And one of the Green Grounds members, they put up a, a petition on change.org. And with 900 signatures, we were a success. We had a victory on our hands. My councilman even called and, uh, and said how they endorse and love what we're doing. I mean, come on, why wouldn't they? L.A. leads the United States in vacant lots that the city actually owns. They own 26 square miles of vacant lots. That's 20 central parks. That's enough space to plant 700 million, <laughs> 725 million tomato plants. Why in the hell would they not okay this? Growing one plant will give you 1,000, 10,000 seeds. Okay. When $1 worth of, of green beans will give you like $75 worth of produce. It's like my, it's my gospel. I'm telling people, grow your own food. Growing your own food is like printing your own money. I rate. Thank you. See, I have a legacy in South Central. I, I, I grew up there. I raised my sons there. And I refuse to be a, a part of this manufactured reality that was manufactured for me by some other people, and I manufactured my own reality. See, I'm an artist. Gardening is my graffiti. I grow my art. 
just like a graffiti artist, where they beautify walls, me, I beautify lawns, parkways. I, I, I use the garden, the soil, like it's a, a piece of cloth. And the, and the plants and the, and the trees, that, that's my embellishment for that cloth. You'd be surprised what, 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 what uh, the soil could do if you let it be your canvas. You just couldn't imagine how amazing a sunflower is and how it affects people. So what, what, what happened? I, I have witnessed my garden become a tool for the education, a tool for the transformation of my neighborhood. To change the community, you have to change the composition of the soil. We are the soil. You'd be surprised how kids are affected by this. Gardening is the most therapeutic and defiant act you can do, especially in the inner city. Plus, you get strawberries. <laughs> I remember this time, um, there was this mother and a daughter came. They, you know, they were, they were, it was like 1030 at night, and they were in my yard. And um, I came out, and they looked so ashamed. You know, I saw them like, man, they, they, it made me feel bad that they were there. And I told them, you know, you don't have to do this like this. This is on the street for a reason. Um, it, it made me feel ashamed to see people that was this close to me that was hungry. And this, this, only, this only reinforced why I do this. And people ask me, Finn, aren't you free, afraid people are going to steal your food? And I'm like, hell no, I ain't afraid they're going to steal it. That's why it's on the street. That's the whole idea. I want them to take it, but in the same time, I want them to take back their health. There's, there's another time when, when I, put a, I, put this, uh, I put a garden in this homeless shelter in downtown Los Angeles. The guys, they helped me unload the truck. It was cool. They, and, and they just shared the stories about how this affected them and how they used to plant with their mother and their grandmother. And it was just, it was just cool to see how this, how this changed them if it was only for that, for that one moment. So Green Grounds has gone on to plant maybe like 20 gardens. We've had like people, like 50 people come to our dig-ins and participate in this, all volunteers. If kids grow kale, kids eat kale. If they grow tomatoes, they eat tomatoes. But when, but when none of this is, is, is presented to them, if they're not shown how food affects the mind and the body, they blindly eat whatever the hell you put in front of them. I, I, I see young people, and um, they want to work. But they're in this thing where they're caught up. I see kids of color, and, and they just, on this track that's designed for them, um, that leads them to nowhere. So with, with gardening, I see an opportunity where we can train these kids to, to, to take over their communities, to, to have a sustainable life. And, and, and when we do this, who knows? We might, have, we might produce the next George, George Washington Carver. But if we don't change the composition of the soil, we will never do this. Now, this is, this is one of my plans. This is what I want to do. I want to plant a whole block of gardens just, where people can share in the food in the same block. I, wa I want to take shipping containers and turn them into healthy cafes. And, and now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about no free shit. Because 
free is not sustainable. The funny thing about sustainability, you have to sustain it. What I'm talking about is putting people to work and getting, and, and, and getting kids off the street and letting them know the joy, the pride, and the honor in growing your own food. Opening farmer's markets. So, so what I want to do here, I, we got to make this sexy. So I want us all to become evolutionary, renegades, gangsters, gangster gardeners. We got to change, the, we got to flip the script on what a gangster is. If you ain't a garden, you ain't gangster. Get gangster, with, get gangster with your shovel, okay? And let that be your weapon of choice. So, so. So, so, so basically, if you, if you want to meet with me, you know, um, if you want to meet, don't call me if you want to sit around in, in cushy chairs and have meetings where you talk about doing some shit, where you talk about doing some shit. If you want to meet with me, come to the garden with your shovel so we can plant some shit. Peace. Thank you. So I love this guy, and for so many reasons. The biggest of which, though, is this guy's a doer. And I got a great word from a person one time on the show. I don't remember their name, but I've used the word many times ever since. Um, it was a guy that was on about maker workshops. And the word is duocracy. The people that do shit get to make decisions. And I think that this is an example of a duocracy. And when non-doers tried to interfere with a doer, they got it shoved up their butts. Uh, because people spoke up and said, what the hell are you doing? But the most moving part of that whole thing for me, and I, I know I can see the visual side of it, and you can't unless you go today and watch it uh, in full video. So it might be a little bit more moving for me than you. But really, the, the part that was the most moving had nothing to do with the imagery that was shown in his slide deck. It was when he said, I'm manufacturing my own reality. That's what we do here, folks. That's why I ended the show with Mr. Finley today. That's exactly what we do. And we don't live in a false reality. There's a lot of people that manufacture their own realities, but they do it with television and makeup and what the Kardashians are doing. And, gee, those people from Jersey Shore are such morons. At least I'm not that stupid. And I, I think the reason some people like to watch these morons on reality shows is because they're such idiots, they make morons feel better, better about themselves. Well, at least I'm not that dumb. No, we manufacture reality by doing things, by planting things, by building things, by creating things, by changing our lives, and by telling the people that say, well, this is the way things are. No, they're not. We're going to change that. Well, you can't change everything. I don't care. I'll change the part that affects me. And if you don't like that, tough. The duocracy. I think maybe I need to talk to Kelly over in the gear shop about coming up with some gear with the word duocracy on it. How do you guys like the word duocracy? People that do shit get to make decisions. People that talk about shit get to talk about it, but they don't get to make any decisions because they're not doing anything. I think that's the way we fix a lot of the problems that we have today, through actions. Why, why do you think I keep telling you guys so many times I've said, do it, And defend it. Don't ask for permission because you'll never get permission. As soon as you ask, is it okay if I... Now, don't do dumb things. 
Okay, don't take a jackhammer to the middle of the I-30 and try to plant an apple tree in the middle of a freeway. I mean, come on. And not everything has to be with guerrilla gardening. Some of it can be on land you own or what have you. I'm, I'm just saying, when, it, when, you, when you say, can I? Is it okay if? What permit do I need? And there's places where you got to comply. But in general, if you don't got to ask, don't do. Just go do it. Right? Don't ask, do. And I'll tell you why. You've just conferred authority to somebody by asking. The minute you ask, you've said to them, you have a right to decide. Many of these people don't even know if they have the ability to decide. They don't even know if they have the authority to decide. But you've now conveyed to them that they do. You've given them a reason to ask for an excuse. Now, look, I'm saying if you want to do something radical in your neighborhood, it's probably good to get the neighbors on board, but maybe you don't really need to worry about the city planners. And, and I'll tell you what made me immediately hooked with this the first time I saw it months ago. When he said the city managers decided to change the name of the city as if that would fix the problem. I'll bet you Mr. Finley and I have some real political differences, but the heart of this, we agree on 100%. And I loved the way, you have to watch this video. If just to see the part where he's like, you know, so, so this is South Los Angeles, liquor stores, fast food. I mean, it's the same place. But the mind of a bureaucrat actually thinks that stupid shit, like what you put down on paper, changes reality. It doesn't. It doesn't. You can make a document, say that the sun shall now begin rising in the west and setting in the east. It's not going to change it. You can make a document that says it's okay to dump chemical fertilizers in mass on soil and it doesn't do any harm and it will still do harm. There's natural rights that we talk about all the time, but there's also natural laws. right? See, man-made laws in many instances exist to protect the rights and, 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 and safety and liberty of other individuals. That's when they make sense. And then there's bullshit laws. And 95% of the laws on the books are the bullshit laws. They're not real. right? But natural law has nothing to do with what you are allowed to do or not allowed to do. It just has to do with what happens if you do it. Give you a natural law. Gravity is a natural law. You drop shit, it falls. Okay? I think I said that the first time on the air like four and a half years ago, very early in the show. But it's true. You've got to break through to people that are new to this. That's a natural law. There's nothing that a, a written law will do to change that. If you want to change the natural law of dropping shit and having it fall, you've got to study aerodynamics and figure out a way to overcome gravity. But the gravity's still there, and if your plane's flying along and the wing comes off, it goes down. Because that natural law doesn't change, even when you think you've defeated it. And part of why we're in so much trouble in our world today is if we've ignored many of these natural laws. We've decided that they no longer apply to us. We'll just write our own laws and we'll ignore them, as if that will make them go, go away. We'll pretend that our codes are actually what provide safety versus understanding risk providing safety. Do you notice that there's no code? There's no code anywhere that says you're not allowed to go up on a really high thing and jump off of it. Now, if your intention is suicide, there's laws against suicide. That's kind of a dumbass law, isn't it? Do we have a law against suicide? Anyway, but there's, there's really nothing legally that prevents a person from jumping off a tall object unless they have no right to be on that tall object. 
right? So you, yeah, you, you, you kind of against the law to go up on top of like the Eiffel Tower and jump off. But do you think the law is why people don't do it? I mean, how do you prosecute the person that's that's done it, right? But yet people don't do it. If you look at something like uh, plants that are toxic, there's a there's a mushroom. It's very very common in the United States. It's highly highly toxic. It's known as destroying angel. It's a white mushroom. You've probably seen it growing in lawns somewhere at some time in your life. It's extremely toxic. It kills you. There's no law against eating it. So how do we not have people falling over dead from destroying angel every year after rainstorms in the spring? It's poisonous. It'll kill you. The natural loss is if you eat that, you die. You, you don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Nobody can fix it for you. They can rush you to the yard, try to save you, and they might. But it's going to be a really unpleasant experience one way or another. And no one can just take it away so people don't do it. Not because there's a law, but because there's a natural law of consequence. And if you want a society that will run well, then a duocracy follows natural law. It is not right for you to tell somebody that they're not allowed to do something when you're not willing to do anything. Well, I don't want you planting trees there. Are you going to plant something else there? No, then shut up. Right? I don't want you growing your own food. Are you going to grow my food for me? No, then shut up. Okay? I mean, that's how I feel about this at this point. And I think that... This is the reason I focus so much on food, guys. It's the one place you can do it right now. I don't care where you are. This guy, if you look at his garden in the video, his little food forest, it's in a strip. It's in a four-foot-wide strip between the highway and the road that's about 150 feet long. He just did it. And yes, they tried to stop him. And he fought and he won. Does that mean if you do it and they try to stop you, when you fight, you'll win? No. Doesn't mean you'll win. It means you should fight. It means you should fight. It means that it's been proven that we can win. That we can make a change. That it can be different. And how do you swing from the government fabricating evidence, admitting they do it and telling you it's okay, spying on you from a directorate that's supposed to focus on foreign communications, collecting the information domestically and telling you it's okay, over to something like this, it's your only hope. It's your only hope. This nation, for it to rise and become the promise that it was in its infancy, For it ever to achieve, it's, and understand, it's never achieved the promise. The promise of America has not been met. You've been told it has. It's there for everybody. Dun, 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 and there's music playing and flags waving, overlaid with imagery of planes flying and eagles soaring. And it's a lie because the promise has never been fulfilled. The only way a nation like America can fulfill its promise is for the people of that nation to actually believe that the promise is possible. And the promise is liberty for all. And liberty can only be obtained by a person that knows that they can safeguard their own liberty, can obtain their own liberty, and can provide for themselves. And the one thing we all have in common is food. It has been the tool most used by government for control of human beings for time immortal. And you come up with something else, and I'll take it back to food. You can come up with how some religion has been used to do this, and it will go back to food in the end. You can come up with military, and it will go back to food in the end. 
it's always been about food. Because every day you're put in touch with the reality that it's necessary for you to stay alive. And we've gone from a point where we had not enough food to stay alive, where now we have the kind of food that makes us sick. And we have a society that's so sick and so twisted that the people behind doing it know damn well what they're doing it, but since they're invested in both the food and the drugs, they're okay with it. And I've had people on the blog tell me recently, you talk about food like it's some kind of sick thing, and it's not. It's not. Yes, it is. Read a label. For the love of God, read a label. Pick any random box of crap off of a store shelf and read the freaking label. Then pick up a random prescription drug and read its warning label. And then find how many of these drugs are being taken to combat illnesses that are lifestyle illnesses that are directly or at least highly related to food. You'll see the truth. We have a society more dependent now than any time in history, even though in many instances we have greater abundance than any time in history. That doesn't happen by accident. I've said it before, you don't build a police state and not use it. And there's more to a police state than sonic cannons and spying initiatives. The greatest way to keep a slave a slave is to convince him that slavery is good for him, have him at great personal expense and effort build his own cage, link his own chains, lock himself down, and dutifully go to bed every night and raise his children to also be slaves and have slaves that feed and clothe themselves. Well, that's the modern society that's been created for you. The good news is, since they're relying on you to lock yourself up and to put your chains on and to be obedient... You don't have to. Food's just one way out of that mess. Getting rid of debt is another way out of that mess. Changing how you think and how you get your information is the most important one, though. Stop letting them tell you what you want to know. Stop letting them tell you what your questions are. Ask your own questions. Get as many sources on information as you can on your own questions. Don't just listen to me. I don't have all your answers. I really don't. I never will. I can't. Because the truth is, I'm more concerned about the answers I want in my life than the answers you want. We just share a lot of commonality there. But I'm going to focus on what I'm most interested in. Please do the same. Please do the same. And I think you'll find in a lot of ways we're all going to end up in the same place, the same type of place Mr. Finley did. Hey, no one's going to fix this. They've created a reality that I don't like. So I'm going to take up and become a duocracy of one, and hopefully some others will join me, and I'm going to manufacture my own reality. It can be done in the inner city. It can be done on 80 acres in the country. It can be done anywhere you want to. It's yours. You are the artist. Just like he says, you get to paint. And it's not just with soil and plants. It's within everything that's in you and everything that you do. Your life is the expression of who you really are if you set yourself free to have that expression. Will you do it? That's the question. Ask yourself right now, is my life an expression of who I am? If somebody looked at me, would they know who I am from my life? If the answer is no, you know what to do. 
manufacture the reality that you were meant to live and live that better life. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Nobody up there cares, they're living for today.